Another day, another transfer for West Virginia and Bob Huggins. We talk all about it right here on the BlueGoldSports.com podcast. What's going on, everybody? Wesley Shoemaker, Aaron Parker, back with you today. BlueGoldSports.com podcast. Big news today, West Virginia landed another basketball transfer, this time in Texas transfer Trey Mitchell. This is the sixth transfer of the offseason for Bob Huggins after what was a very lackluster and underperforming 2021 season. I think um, it shows that Huggins is ready to go, ready to try and win, and he's done that by adding four Power five transfers, two JUCO transfers to go along with two incoming freshmen and another already signed JUCO guy to this class. Obviously, uh, this means someone will be cut from this class, either will be a walk on or will have to go to prep school or somewhere else. There's some rumors out there, obviously, but we don't know that as of now. Aaron, how are you feeling? Another transfer, another guy added to this new men's basketball roster. Yeah, it's a good pickup for Hugs and um, and his squad. Um, once Emmett Matthews returned to WVU, I kind of thought that would be it for this class, and and Hugs would have his team for the 2022-2023 campaign. But he made room for another uh, Power Five star. Um, put up numbers at UMass. Did pretty well at Texas before uh, leaving the team. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what what the staff has to do with their situation because they forced in another guy, but it's a very talented guy. Yeah, just going through it, um, I'll do that real quick. Men's basketball roster as of now, as we said, one will not be on scholarship, but you have five returners, Keity Johnson, Seth Wilson, Kobe Johnson, Jamel King, James Okonkwo. Out of those five, I'd say probably there's a safe bet that three of them will play significant minutes next year, uh, and Kobe, Seth, and Keity. Beyond that, I'm not sure where James is, and I'm not sure where, where Jamel will fit as of now. Then you have two incoming freshmen, the Josiahs, both from Ohio. You have Josiah Harris and Josiah Davis. Then in Juco, you have Pat Suminik, Muhammad Wagu, and Jimmy Bell Jr. Obviously, Bell Jr. and Wagu, they signed recently with West Virginia. Suminik signed over the winter, so that will be interesting. And then you have your four D1 transfers, Joe Toussaint, Emmett Matthews, Eric Stevenson, and Trey Mitchell. Aaron, I'll start here. Which of these six guys or 41 guys if you want to go there first or just any of the guys in general who do you think is the biggest signing for this transfer class I'll call it of this offseason um I want to go Eric Stevenson but Emmett Matthews is huge just as far as bringing the team together um having a guy that's experienced he's played under hugs for multiple years he knows West Virginia he knows the state he knows the program he knows the culture and bringing him back for a fifth-year senior type of year, I think is pretty big. But I really like Eric Stevenson. I remember him getting talked up a lot when WV played Wichita State about two or three years ago. He's a guard that can shoot. He's a guard that's not small per se, and he can he can rebound. And um, he's shown that he wants to rebound too. Um, he's put that on social media that he wants to be known as a rebounder, not just somebody who can step up and shoot. So I like Eric Stevenson. Yeah. Um... If you go back to that game, uh, West Virginia, Wichita State in 2019, Eric Stevenson did have 22 points uh, against the Mountaineers. And I think that type of scoring, he showed that this past year in South Carolina, and he will bring that, especially when you lose two guys like Taz and Sean. But for me, I really, I think I'm going to have to go with Emmett is the biggest D1 transfer, just because I think 
Emmett's going to kind of be like that Gabe guy. He won't be able to be Gabe's, like, defensive caliber. Like, he won't be that type of player, but I think he's going to be that glue guy that you hear about. He's going to be the guy that kind of holds things together. He was here for a while, then he left to go home, and now he's back, back home, some would say, uh, if you're a West Virginia fan. But I think Emmett just has the ability to kind of just always compete and always keep you in games, and I think that's a – skill that is unteachable and that some guys have and some guys don't. And I think Emmett has that. And I think that is huge. As far as Juco guys go, I think the signing of Muhammad Wagu is going to be huge for this team. This team struggled the rebound. Wagu is an experienced rebounder at the Juco level. I think if I'm not mistaken, he finished with the most rebounds in all of Juco last year. He was a first team All-American at the Juco level too. So a lot, a lot of star power coming your way from the Juco level, obviously, Will it translate? We have yet to see, and we will see come fall and come winter, but I think it is a good sign. Kind of pivoting from that point, though, Aaron, there's a trend here, and I think that trend is kind of obvious that Huggins addressed the need to get inside guys through Juco, and he addressed the need to get more guard and more wing play through more of the traditional transfer portal with other guys like a Taz, like, sorry, like a Sean, like a JB who entered the portal. And um, I think that's big. So I kind of want to just get your thoughts. Uh, You'll go first here. I'll follow up. Just why do you think Huggins went that route? And do you think that's the smart thing to do? I think it is smart. I think he's trying to get strength in numbers as far as the big man position goes, because with last year's disappointing season, a lot of the the struggle, I know Sean struggled and stuff like that, but a lot of the struggles came from the big man position. Poly Polycap, you know, not bad. Demon Carey, not bad, but like, it was just not bad. But like, nobody was like good. Nobody was out there getting a bunch of rebounds. Nobody was out there, you know, putting up 15 a night because that Derek Culver, the loss of Derek Culver was big for the Mountaineers this past year. And even when you go back to Derek Culver, he was sometimes the only one getting boards and he would have to come out because just because he's tired. So I think strength in numbers as far as the big man position goes. Getting Mitchell's another big one today. Even if – I don't even know what he, what he is, a five or a four. Either way, you got a couple more fives to get boards and can hopefully be a little polished around the rim. Yeah, for me, kind of looking at this trend, if, if you look at it, Stevenson, one year of eligibility left. Um, Trey Mitchell, I believe he has two years of eligibility left. Toussaint, I think, also has two years. Evan Matthews just with the one year. So you kind of see Matthews and Stevenson. They're kind of here just for this year to win. But then if you look at, like, the Juco guys, Wagoo has three years, Jimmy Bell has two years. So you kind of have you, – you can afford them to struggle, and I think it's easier for to teach and to polish these big men than it is to polish a guard. I think guards who have been there and done that, like a Stevenson, like a Toussaint, like a, like who these guys have played at Power 5 programs. Like Toussaint played in the Big Ten, which was one of the best basketball conferences in the country the last couple of years. Played at Iowa two years ago when they were the one of, one of the best like teams in the country that year. Eric Stevenson played in the SEC. There are some good SEC teams. Like The SEC was no joke. Like The SEC, the Big Ten, and the Big 12 are – I just think as of the last two years, especially talent-wise, above the Pac-12 and the ACC, and I think Huggins getting these two guys who are experienced guards and who have experienced environments and experienced crowds, like 
that's something you can teach. It's harder to teach a guy like Malik Curry who's coming from Old Dominion that than a guy like Eric Stevenson who's coming from a South Carolina. I also think that Huggins tried to go the route of finding the best D1 shot blockers, the best D1 rebounders last year, and Damon Kerrigan and Polly Polycap, and it just didn't work. Um, and so I think he's like, you know what, I'm going to go back to what has made me, and that's getting Juco guys and developing them and having them perform. And I think that's why you have these this flexibility with a guy like Wagyu who averaged 14.8 rebounds per game and almost 12 uh, – sorry, 14.8 points per game and almost 12 rebounds per game last year. And I just think that's big for him. If he can put those numbers up at Juco, there's some serious dudes in Juco, and hopefully it translates translates for this team. Yeah, I think Huggs is trying to, to reclaim that identity of his past teams. You think of Bob Huggins, and you think of offensive rebounding, you think of defensive rebounding, you think of getting on the floor, diving for balls, out hustling the other, other man, other opponent. Not necessarily beating you, but just knocking down all the threes and outscoring everybody. That's how you think of Hugs' teams. But even like broadcasters said at the like last year, this is simply not a normal Hugs team. They're not. They didn't out rebound anybody. They weren't cleaning it up on the offensive glass, and they weren't. Ex- I mean, you got Gabe Osaboyan, but outside of him, there wasn't a whole lot of charge taking and diving for balls. So I think getting some of these JUCO guys, but then also getting experience um, and getting his type of players. I think Eric Stevenson and those kind of guys that uh, Muhammad will go out of Juco level, like you said, they're his type of players. Um, I hope they, that can translate to big 12 play because, but I think it can, because like you said, Stevenson playing the SEC, you know, they had a, very, a lot of good teams this year, Kentucky, Tennessee, that list goes on. And then Toussaint, like some people might complain. I mean, he didn't put up like a ton of stats, but he was a contributor for Iowa. I mean, Iowa has to play Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, um, all those teams, Illinois, Indiana. So, I mean, he's got, I think he's got his type of players and hopefully that can translate into hugs, getting his style back, the, you know, being tougher than the opponent um, and just kind of, you know, maybe not out shooting a team, but, you know, out hustling a team for a win. You talk about his style and I think his style over the years has been defense and kind of being the bully in a way on defense, kind of like harassing the other team, making them do things they don't want to do. And that was just not the identity of the team a year ago. And even just looking at the size of these guys, like Jimmy Bell, he's six foot 10, 280 pounds. Obviously the 280 will come down, but he's still a big dude. Then if you got Trey Mitchell, he's six, nine, 225. Like these dudes that he's getting, they're big dudes that can bully you around and that can play with the size and the strength of the big 12, like against Kansas, dude, McCormick just had a field day because there was no one to challenge him inside. Like if you put Jimmy Bell out there, like, okay, he might get three, four, five fouls. He might foul out, but he's putting his body out there and he's sending a message and not making it easy because I think everyone who played West Virginia, it was easy to get to the rim last year. And I just, I think Huggins' main priority was like, all right, that's not going to be the case this year. You're going to have to beat us. We're going to play defense. And I think that's part of the reason why you see the size, you see this experience. And then you also see them say things like, Press Virginia might be back by putting random hashtags on Twitter. I mean, I know we're kind of going down a rabbit hole with that, but if a team can press, like they're going to have to have a guy on the back end that can kind of be there just like a, Sagaba Kanate was like, and you're going to have to have guard play that can defend and Joe Toussaint can defend. Keedy can defend if he has to. Eric Stevens, like these guys can defend. These guys have guys who are bigs. What I'm waiting for is if this, if the Huggins isn't done and if he decides to 
put these two freshmen possibly in a program like that, like in a program that like a prep school that will kind of get them, get them playing because if he like, I don't know, do you see any of these Josiah's like contributing with the guys you have coming back? Not right off the board. They're not one of the top seven players on this roster right now. So if you can get another shooter, get someone who can make shots, then we're really talking about this team possibly making a run next year. Yeah. I mean, Hugs, Hugs is getting getting up there, and I, it seems like the back end of his career. But he's he's a Hall of Fame coach, nine hundred time winner. Um, so I think the team he had last year, as he kind of you know rounds third in his career, so to say, I don't think he wants to to replicate what he had last year. Um, I think you, like I said, I think he really wants to get back to to what he's got, um, what he's been known for. And I think I think another thing to point out is the free throw percentage by some of these transfers. I think you mentioned. Um, to me before, I think Emmett Matthews, Mitchell Stevenson, Toussaint, if you combine all their free throw percentages from last year, somewhere in the 80, 85%. I got 83.4% was my 83.4%. That's good. Um, I know WV was not great last year, but what they did have going for them towards the end of the season was free throws. But what else was consistent with that team besides maybe Taz Sherman? Nothing. So I think if this even year, Taz down the stretch wasn't yeah just, not was, after the injury and you know yeah. after getting knocked out at Baylor he wasn't all that consistent but I think if Hugs can get this team to to rebound um, you know guard maybe put a press on you every now and then um, I think complementing that with actually making free throws would be good because last year you had the free throws but you didn't have the defense you didn't have the boards you you didn't have anything besides free throws like. Even just looking at the Big 12 last year, who are the two best teams in the Big 12 last year? They were Kansas and they were Texas Tech. I mean, you could throw Baylor in there. I think Texas Tech and Kansas were run away the best two teams in the league. Kansas, obviously, more than Texas Tech. They won the national championship. How they won the national championship, you ask? Oh, they played defense. Like, they were down early in that game in North Carolina. And then in the second half, switch flipped. They started guarding, turned into offense. Like, you can't not play defense and want to win. And this team last year wanted to win, but didn't want to play great defense. And you saw the effort was there sometimes, but less than like, it's not, it's not even an effort thing. It's just a matter of if you're doing it or if you're not. And this team was not doing it last year. Yeah. Everything was too easy. Uh, a lot of ball watching, a lot of um, getting big men set in the set um, up top, getting screen set on them at the perimeter. And that leaves bad matchups. I think we saw that a lot with Cottrell. Um, yeah, not the question to want to of those guys because you can't really do that, but it's just it's a matter of are you playing defense or are you not? I think last year's team um, did not do a good job of that. So, you know, I I would love to see some some form of Press Virginia come back. I'm not saying, you know, to the extent of Jawan State and Javon Carter and, and those guys, but, you know, maybe putting somebody long and athletic on the ball and, and just pressuring the ball as, it, as they bring it up before and, you know, actually wanting to play defense. Again, getting a guy like Emmett Matthews to come back to a system that he knows. You know, sometimes I think he ball washed in his first couple of years. Um, you know, but he had he had a good year at Washington. He knows the system. So I mean, if you can get some kind of want to, um, I think you can have a good defensive team. Yeah, I think just kind of looking at it now, like obviously I doubt you play much of Keedy and Joe Toussaint on the floor at the same time. If I had to guess, like I don't think Katie's a true one, and I think we kind of learned that last year. I think Toussaint is a true one guard. I think he's a true point guard that can 
kind of facilitate more than have to score. I think Keedy can score more. He just did not really have the opportunity to score a year ago. So I think Emmett obviously starts, Stevenson starts. And then as, as at your four and five, you kind of have options. Like if Jamel, Jamel's probably a three, I'd say, but if you're trying, I don't know if you're running small, if you might put him at the four, like there's, I think this team has options now. You can go big, you can go small. And I think that's a good problem to have especially as we are only in May, we have till November, December to kind of where this team has to kind of figure things out. I'd say, I'd say the biggest for me, just knowing their schedule and looking ahead to next year, I think that Thanksgiving week tournament up with teams like Duke is going to be a really good test because last year, besides UConn, this team is not really tested in the non-conference. And I think having non-conference tests is a good thing. And I think it will be a good challenge and a good measuring stick with a month more of non-conference play before conference play. Yeah, it should be. And, you know, also to remember UAB is coming to Morgantown, non-conference and Andy Kennedy's team. They made the tournament. They gave WV a lot of struggles last year in Birmingham. Truth be known, UAB probably should have won that game. So maybe another little challenge there, but it'll be in Morgantown. So hopefully this team could, you know, maybe get a double digit win, but I really like Seth. Wilson I don't know if he'd be like your sixth man some somebody coming off the bench you know obviously that's speculation but I really like what I saw out of him last year um, he's confident you know he's not afraid to shoot the ball he's not afraid to take it to the rack as we saw um, against Iowa State and Morgantown you know he took one to the rack shot a three shot a step in two without even thinking about it and he made all those shots um, and he's a big he's I know he's not tall but you know he's a builder a bigger build for a guard position um, and Taz spoke on his confidence last year. He said he's got the kind of confidence he has um, when shooting the ball. So I like him to be a, a big factor this year. Yeah, talk, talking about Seth, Seth Wilson really quick, I think towards the end of the year, you had Huggins kind of explain, hey, uh, there's some guys on this team that are going to get serious playing time next year. Obviously, things have changed with who you've brought in. But I would still expect Huggins to stand by that. And, like, there's guys – I think it's Kobe Johnson and Seth Wilson specifically who played last year, who got minutes last year, who obviously it's hard to be a true freshman in the Big 12 and play really well, um, unless you're at Kansas, of course. But uh, I think there is a way for them to develop and turn into a better player. Do I think Seth starts – I really don't know. I haven't really gone that far in my thinking, but I also think we have to kind of see how it plays out first because if he starts shooting the ball and he's making his shot, like if he's making his shots, he's going to work his way into getting minutes. And I think as you saw with Gabe last year, it's not really about who starts anymore. It's more about who finishes. It's in the last eight minutes of a game when you're down four at Allen Fieldhouse to Kansas on a, on a Tuesday night in January. You know what I mean? Like it's, It's not about who's in the game for the first 12 minutes. It's about who's in the game for the last eight. And I think um, that's the biggest thing that we have yet to see is that who's going to be that guy? Who's going to be those two guys? Who's going to step up and work themselves and play themselves into those roles? Yeah, I think I think Seth Wilson, Seth Wilson can be one of those guys. And I totally agree with your point. It doesn't really matter who comes, who starts. It matters about who finishes. And obviously Gabe wasn't, are we ever a starter except for like senior day and maybe one other time, but he's the guy you want on the floor at the end of the game. Um, and that just reminds me of some of the press Virginia teams. I mean, let's 
think about Jason on page 2016. I mean, that dude didn't start any of the games and he averaged like 20 points a game. Um, he was out there defending Buddy Heald towards the end of a Big 12 tournament game. I mean, he was making shots down the stretch, Tariq Phillip the same way. He didn't start for the most part till his senior year, but he was out there at the end making plays, making defensive plays and making shots. So um, I agree with your point, And I definitely think Seth Wilson can be one of those guys if they don't immediately put him in the starting lineup. I, I, I agree with you. And I think that Seth and Kobe both are going to, are going to take a, are going to turn a page from last year. I think last year was just so hectic in more, so many ways. Um, and hopefully they turn the page and turn it for the better. Going back to Mitchell though, I just, I just kind of want to talk about his stats. So for those who don't know, Trey Mitchell started at UMass, played two seasons there, then transferred to Texas and will have two years of eligibility left with the Mountaineers. Um, in his UMass career, he played in 44 games, started 43 of them. Um, I believe he averaged about 18 points per game at UMass. And then he was like, he was good at UMass. And obviously that's why he warranted a transfer to a place like Texas. Like Texas just doesn't get, they, Texas gets who they want most of the time. Mm -hmm. And they got who they wanted Uh, last year, 17 games started 24 games played um, just over 18 and a half minutes per game shot 47.8%. So call it about 50% from the field. Didn't really take many threes, averaged just under two three-point attempts per game. Shot 80% from the free throw line, as we kind of talked about earlier. Averaged four rebounds per game. Um, and just, he he was like, he's a guy that you just need. Like, he adds depth, he adds experience. And I think that's a biggest the biggest part of this signing is he's someone who has played in the Big 12. And although he only appeared in 24 games last year like he still has that experience like he played he played against Baylor he played against can like he played against these teams um until February when he stepped away from the team and I think it's just a matter of if he can continue to develop and be that guy on a more consistent basis yeah 20 I didn't know he played that much 24 games you know that's that's a good a good chunk of the season right there it's a good chunk of big 12 play so hopefully I mean, it sounds like he can score the ball. Um, I'm still not sure if he's a four. So he scored 17 against Kansas in their win at home against Kansas last year. Yeah. 12 against Oklahoma State. Um, just looking at it, 19 against Seton Hall. Against Gonzaga, he scored six. So, like, the it's there. The talent is definitely there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing he has some kind of a mid-range jump shot. Hopefully, maybe it can extend to the three-point line. But, you know, if he's an inside player, you know, hopefully he can somewhat do both play the, with back to the basket and, um, you know, step out and, and make a free throw line, free throw line extended jump shot every now and then. Um, we knew Isaiah Cottrell had the talent for that last year, but we didn't see a whole lot of that last year. His hook shot was bad to say the least last year. And with him moving on, you gotta, you gotta have somebody that can do that or do it better, hopefully better. Um, obviously Cottrell is coming off an injury, but it sounds like Mitchell can maybe do his work at a better level. And it sounds like he can get more boards too. Yeah, so Trey Mitchell came – so I'm just looking at that Kansas game because that seemed to be one of his be- better games of last season. Came off the bench in that game, made all eight of his free throws, um, went four of 12 from the field in 22 minutes played, went three of six um, from from two uh, – finished with four rebounds and 17 points. So um, 
obviously, he, I mean, he shot one of six from three, too. So I don't I don't want Mitchell shooting six threes a game unless he's mm-hmm. going to knock down two of them or three of them. I think he's better off shooting three threes a game, making one, making two maybe, um, kind of finding that rhythm if he's there. And just kind of working from the – the free throw line in using that elbow space using getting inside getting rebounds you know and i i just think he's more valuable like that i'm not expecting him to put up 12 15 points per game but if he can give you eight to ten points per game i think that's really solid and i think that's probably what they're expecting him to do yeah and with last year's team if you're finding somebody besides you know number 12 tash sherman to go out there and score 10 a game you know you were happy you know you had sean mcneil and Jalen Bridges, who you knew could get that and more, but they weren't doing it at a consistent level. <clears throat> you know, some other things played into that, but you know, I think I think a guy that could get you eight, nine, ten a game with some boards would be would be huge. You know, like you said, I don't think we're expecting him to come in and average seventeen like he did at UMass because it's you know it's Big Twelve play. But he has a season of Big Twelve play under his belt. I mean, I think he knows the competition. I think he knows the opponents pretty well, um, and he knows how hard it is game in and game game out. So, you know, that might come in to be a factor because, you know, with some of these Duco guys, you know, it might take them a while to kind of understand the day in and day out opponents you have to play. But, you know, somebody who's playing the Big 12, he'll have a good knowledge about that. Yeah, I I think that's a really good point you bring up, the kind of the grind of a Big 12 season. I just think that when you're in the Big 12 and you're playing a top 10 opponent, sometimes like West Virginia play three top 10 opponents, I think, back to back to back earlier in the year. Like they played Kansas, Baylor, and Texas Tech back to back to back. Like, Kansas won the national championship. Baylor gave UNC a run for their money. Uh, year before, like, like those are good teams, um, and I just don't think you have that or experience that until you play in a conference like the Big Twelve, like the Big Ten, like the SEC. And I think it's good that these guys have grinded it out and have been there and done that. And I think that's a big thing is their experience. I think Huggins wants experience, and now that he has that, he's gonna. The expectation level is certainly going to be raised for Huggins and his demand for these players. And I think as a program as a whole, the expectation level should be raised because these guys, like last year, West Virginia, besides Sean Taz, like they were an old team, but they were also a really young team. And I think you saw besides Sean Taz, Gabe, like those guys, this team's youngness and was like, it was exposed. And I think now that you have that experience from the outside looking in, it'll be like, uh, okay, now that you have the experience, you should do something about it. Yeah, I think there's going to be more expectations for this year because, A, there's a bad season last year and Mountaineer fans are very impatient and, you know, they don't put up with, with two straight bad seasons. But, B, I think we we know that Hugs kind of swung and missed in the portal last year. Um, you know, not to say that those were bad players, but you talk about experience and we're, we're hammering that point. Guys like Pauly Podcast from coming from Manhattan and DePaul, not nearly the same level as Big 12 play. You're talking about DeMond Kerrigan coming from the CUSA with, with Ford International. Not nearly the same. Malik Curry from the Conference USA, too. It's just not to say that those guys were bad. And Malik Curry turned out to be a good player for us, but uh, for WVU. But, you know, overall, Hugs pretty much swung a miss in the portal. And it seems like he's trying a whole lot harder this year. And on the surface, it doesn't look like he swung a miss this year. And it looks like he's given his all to try to maybe adapt to this new style of college basketball, whether he likes it or not. Yeah, I think it's also easier to go one, two for four this year than it is to go 0 for three last year. I mean, I think last year was such a still a weird year just with COVID, with everything going on. And I think now that things have kind of settled down in a sense, obviously, like COVID's still a thing and we're not hiding from it. But like 
it's still a thing, but it's easier after another year not having to play with no fans, not having like there were so many variables last offseason from the year before that were still in place that I think are different now. And I think Huggins has kind of learned, okay, like he's a Hall of Fame coach. Like it feels good to say that actually. Like he's a Hall of Fame coach. He knows what he's doing. He's got the 40 years of experience. I trust Huggins and I think he's learned and I think he's grown from last season. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, talking on the COVID point, I mean, you had a year of, of, of no fans. West Virginia had a great team that year, but, you know, no fans pretty much the whole entire season. So you got fans chomping at the bid to get back in the Coliseum. And then you have a year where Mountaineers can't hardly buy a home game that they win, except for what Iowa State, Oklahoma State, um, and Kansas maybe State. one other Big 12 opponent. Kansas State when they had seven. Kansas points. State. Yep. And that was not a good game either. Oh, should have lost that game. So fans were chomping at the bid to get back in the Coliseum and they didn't really see what they wanted. So, you know, this year is going to be a big year. And I think, you know, I think it's a little bit more back to normalcy. So I think Hugs, you know, knows that fans want to get back in the Coliseum and support their Mountaineers. So he wants to put out a team on the floor that, you know, is worth their while and worth their money. Yeah, just think about it this way, even like, you had fans filling up and selling out the Coliseum on a Wednesday night game against Oklahoma where the Mountaineers then laid an egg and then they kept showing up, showing up, showing up and they sucked. Like like it's, it's easy to see how fans could have turned away and they didn't. I think that shows what this, what this team means to this fan base. And I think Huggins knows that Huggins realizes that. And he also realizes like that, he doesn't have many more runs in him. Like he's got a couple chances left. He's got a couple bullets left in the chamber and he wants to make sure those are good bullets and wants to make sure he doesn't misfire them. And I just think that's the most important thing. And hopefully for him, for this team, for this program, it's better than last year. I think it's hard to be worse than last year, but the floor was hit last year. The And I think hopefully the ceiling is now raised it's just a matter of, do you reach that ceiling? Yeah, and, you know, with a bad season last year, like you talked about how, how you know, badly Hugs wants to win and how he knows, you know, that it's got to improve. I mean, if you look at his past with WVU, it's, there's been some bad teams. Obviously, there's more winning than losing, but every now and then there's, there's an outlier. You go back to those teams with, like, Terry Henderson, Jabari Hines, kind of miss out on the tournament. I think there's maybe two straight years of missing out on the tournament. And then boom, Press Virginia happens. You get years of winning. And then once Javon Carter and Jackson Riles graduate, you got a bad team there. And kind of I thought there's going to be a multi-year rebuild. Next year, they're a tournament team. And then the next year after that, they're a top 10 team. Um, and that's with COVID happening. So Hugs is not, he's not accustomed to losing. And he does not want to have a losing, a losing team two straight years. I know the, the record wasn't a losing record last year, but in his mind, you know, missing the tournament is, is losing. So, yeah. One more thing uh, before we get going here. Uh, I'll go first here. What's next for this team and for this program? I do think they bring in one more transfer. Is it Courtney Ramey? As many people have said, I don't know. Um, Is it someone who can score? It has to be. I think defensively you've kind of gotten everything that you could wish for and want. Um, But I think now you need to go get someone who can – kind of if you need 13 14 points 
and you're struggling to score, that you insert him in the lineup and he goes and gets you a few buckets. So I think that's what this team needs to become go from good to really good. And I think they do that. What do I think that entails? I don't know who they're going to let go or who they might say, hey, you know, we just don't have room for you. Um, but I don't think Huggins cares about hurting feelings anymore. I think he cares about winning. And I think if that means he goes and gets a guard who can give you 15 points and has to get let go of a freshman, so be it. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I mean, right now you're at, you know, too many. So you think about, you know, one of the freshmen maybe getting sent to prep school. But if you're to go out and get somebody like Ramey or a big guard that can give you 12, 13, 14 a night, what are you going to do? You're going to send both of the freshmen packing for either temporarily or maybe one permanently. You're going to have to do something with both, right? I mean, probably unless you tell a guy like Suminik not to come, but he's a Juco guy. Like, I don't know how you tell him no at this point. I feel like maybe they tell someone to walk on and NIL money. Like, I don't, I don't know. I feel like there, there might be a way where you tell a guy to walk on and then NIL money creeps in the back door to just pay for that pays for tuition. Like, I don't know how that works. I don't know the rules of NIL. I don't know how the, how like the, what it does, but what, how it goes on behind the scenes, but that could be a way that happens. But Ideally, you do say goodbye to the Josiahs if you have to go get a scorer. And I think if one, if like if you have to lose one, okay. But if that scorer turns out to give you solid minutes and a lot of points and a lot of production, I mean, it's 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 like which one do you weigh more? Yeah, yeah. If it's if if a guy like Ramey's there, yeah, you can't you can't turn it down. But uh, you know that's speculation. As far as next steps for this team, in my opinion, you know. I'm, uh, you know, I just think maybe trying to bond over the summer with these guys, it's, it's just such a different climate. The college basketball world, college football, too, is, you know, as Neil Brown has said, it's not a four year, three year roster type thing. You got to your roster is ever changing. Your, your roster is year to year. And I think Hugs can attest to that. It's a totally different team than last year outside of just a couple of players. So I think hopefully I think the next step is using the summer to hopefully build some camaraderie around the team. I know, you know, not everybody's in West Virginia probably right now, but hopefully, you know, develop some, some, you know, um, some relationships there and maybe some chemistry on the court. Um, so I think that's the next step. Um, and maybe trying to, for the coaching staff, trying to see what, what works as far as the lineups go and, you know, and uh, who's playing what position, that kind of stuff. Yeah, as far as summer goes and kind of chemistry and building that chemistry, I will say it's been cool to see from afar. Eric Stevenson has been very active with current players on Twitter. I think um, the players that are coming back really want to do this thing and do this thing the right way, and they want to win. I think there will be that buy-in from buy-in from them, and I think it starts from from those guys that are coming in. Like if you if you get the buy-in from those four Power Five guys that are like, all right, like fresh start, let's do this thing, then it's better than kind of waiting around for. August to hit and then you're like all right like get going in June get going in late May you know what I mean like get going as soon as you guys can and as soon as you guys want because what's what they do outside of the organized team stuff that I think will make or break this team absolutely and you got multiple Juco guys coming in I mean they need to be there early getting to know the system getting to understand how hugs runs things but you know understanding what offenses they need to run if they're pressing they got to get in shape you oh yeah. If they're if they're changing their formula to pressing, they got to get in the gym now. Um, as far as these JUCO guys go, they got. I think they need to get in earlier. 
Well, I mean, I don't know. The the Power Five guys are coming into a new system too. I think the whole team needs to, you know, use the summer to build on. So, uh, and especially the JUCO guys. I think I think with the power of social media, we'll be able to kind of see that, track that through Instagram stories, Twitter, yeah. things like that. I feel like everything's so documented. Like I've seen in the last couple of weeks, Gabe and Malik were still working out at the facility. So yeah. there's still people there. There's still people there that want to keep working hard. And I think it's just a matter of time before that starts to mesh and come together. Do you have anything else, uh, big guy, on this lovely Friday afternoon? No, I don't think so. Just it, it's a very different team, but it's also exciting too. So that that's what I'll leave it with. Yeah, I think I think it is a very different team, a very exciting team, and I'm interested to see if anything else comes about, um, comes to life, comes to fruition in these next few few weeks. Excuse me. So, anyways, if you have made it this far, we really do appreciate you listening, watching, whatever platform you see us on. My name is Wesley Shoemaker, joined by Aaron Parker. Be sure to keep up with us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or if you get your podcasts, or if you even watch us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at blue underscore gold sports, I believe. Follow us on Facebook, and just keep keep us keep us going. We appreciate you guys listening, and if you made it this far, we do thank you. Once again, I'm Wesley Shoemaker, joined by Aaron Parker, and this is the BlueGoldSports.com podcast.